Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Wednesday, July 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. Tanned, rested, and ready. Look at you. You're down at the river. I was. It was down great. at the river. Not in a van, but you know, we were down by the river. Um, you, wow, look at you back from the uh, the big jaunt over the pond there. Yes. Good time. Great time. Scotland, Ireland. Uh, Ireland and London. Ireland, London, man, I tell you. The yeah. Beautiful places. Very beautiful, beautiful places. Beautiful places. And uh, the whole, uh, and we'll, we'll get to the stocks in a minute. Hang in there, people. Um, the, the whole um, joke. That has been made for many decades about how bad food is in Ireland and London, mainly London, like British food. Like no, 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 no. Those are all gone. So, like the the food was amazing. I, yeah, you know, we did Scotland and we did Ireland. Um, that, that that completely escaped time, me. Time like, to come up with new jokes. The cuisine was was great. You throw in a couple of good beers on top of it all. I mean, hey, yeah. I mean, it's come on. Uh, we're going to start with automotive because that is very much front and center in the headlines today. And let's let's go to the auto parts stocks. And holy cow! So this started with O'Reilly Automotive and shares of O'Reilly down twenty percent today because they announced same store sales growth of just one point seven percent. That's um, below anemic. <laughs> that's below their own guidance. And we talk about that. We talk about Wall Street analyst guidance versus companies' own guidance. And their own guidance was higher than this. And so that stock is hitting a two year low and it is dragging down the others with it. AutoZone is down big today, hitting a multi year loan. So is Advanced Auto Parts. And I couldn't help but harken back to was it a month ago, maybe six weeks ago on Motley Fool Money when Matt Argusinger. Made the comment about the automotive, uh, the auto parts stocks, and he just he didn't hold back, and he said, "I think these stocks are all in big trouble," and that's certainly what's going on today. Hey, I mean, you gotta love uh, you gotta love a guy with conviction, right? And Maddie certainly had a lot of conviction there, and I don't know that really any of us in the studio were disagreeing with that call at the time, because I mean, I think the point with all of these. Automakers, or not the automakers, but the parts makers at least, is that what has led them to this decade plus of really just tremendous success. If you look forward this coming decade, I mean, that's when you start thinking, okay, is that, should we expect the same market dynamics? For these next ten years and beyond, and I think I think anyone could look at that and say, well, it seems like the auto space is is surely ready for a big change as it makes this big move towards electric vehicles, um, towards alternative energy, all sorts of different options beyond the combustion engine, and and so I mean with with O'Reilly, I mean pre announcements are rarely good. I mean typically they're kind of getting out in front of bad news, and and that was. Obviously, the case today, and I think one of the problems with O'Reilly, with Autos, and these are big companies. They have a big physical presence already. I think O'Reilly has almost five thousand stores. So then you have to ask yourself, well, what are the chances that they're going to be able to grow meaningfully by opening more stores? Chances are pretty low that they're going to be able to see meaningful growth through that. So then you have to really focus on those same store sales because that gives you a good idea of of how these guys really are growing and and how you can sort of stretch that out over the coming years. 
And I, I just, I mean, it's really tough to see where they're going to find this growth. I mean, I, I don't know that um, it's it's reasonable to expect it. So, so we've seen the stock take a huge haircut now. I mean, it was it was about a twenty billion dollar company before the market opened this morning. Now it's about a sixteen billion dollar company. Um, it's trading now at around fifteen times earnings. And you may look at that on the surface and say, "Wow, that seems pretty cheap for a quality run business." Uh, surely they could grow earnings at somewhere in the neighborhood of a ten to fifteen percent rate, and and at least somewhat justify that PE. I I, I wouldn't be so quick to to assume that. I mean, I think that's going to require. Um, battening down the hatches a little bit on their part, buying back some more shares. They've done a pretty good job buying back shares over time, but um, again, buying back shares really only works out in hindsight as long as the stock price uh, you know, appreciates from there. So, uh, I think as as we look at all of these these players in this space, whether it's the automakers or the auto parts makers, you know, we're not talking about electric vehicles taking over the market tomorrow. But we are talking about them having a far more meaningful presence in the industry in the space over the course of the next decade, and the market is forward-looking, and so the market is looking at the next five, ten years and wondering, okay, how does the growth shake out in the space? Where is that growth going to come from? Who's going to be the biggest beneficiaries of that? I think you have to really bring these parts makers into question. That's what's that's what's happening today. Well, and it's not to say similar to. The vehicles themselves, the idea that you know electric vehicles aren't just going to overwhelm the roads in the next couple of years. Right. By the same token, they they don't need to to have a meaningful impact. I mean, O'Reilly Automotive isn't going out of business, but the idea that they're going to continue on the path and look these all three of these, particularly O'Reilly and and AutoZone, have these are stocks that have had great runs recently. But I think that's a big part of why we're seeing multi-year lows today. Um, it's uh, so so for anyone who's looking at that, you think this gets worse before it gets better? I I mean I think that's at least a it's certainly You're a not question that's got to be no I'm I'm definitely not I mean I think you made a really good point there in that electric vehicles are not going to take over the market tomorrow. I mean they don't you're right they don't need to they're basically coming from a base of zero. So I mean over the course of the next decade and beyond you know those vehicles are only going to gain more and more share over time and if you question that then I think you better go back and look at how these automakers are behaving because I think the the writing is on the wall that they agree in some capacity and and for people who think that well Tesla's not going to be able to, to to take over over the auto market like you said, it doesn't need to. There are plenty of other market, uh, plenty of other companies out there to be a part of this, and there's no way that Tesla could be responsible for every electric vehicle on the road because you're talking about these big two automakers and Ford and, G- and, and GM. I mean, they're selling 15 million plus cars a year. I mean, Tesla's not going to be able to handle that capacity, but that's why you're seeing a lot of these automakers uh, developing that in-house technology to be able to bring more electric vehicles to to the road because. That's just unquestionably the direction where the market is headed, and if that's the case, I mean that changes the dynamic of what these auto parts companies have to offer, right? Because an electric car is fundamentally much different than a traditional combustion engine car. Speaking of which, the other big news this morning: Volvo announced it is going electric. Volvo is going to produce five fully electric models. Between 2019 and 2021, also during that time span, they announced they're going to be producing some hybrid models as well. And 
This is an interesting story because you, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Volvo is safety. That is just how they built their reputation. We're gonna, we're not yeah. gonna have the sexiest car. We're not gonna have the fastest car. We're gonna aim to have the the safest car. The idea that uh, Volvo is coming out and saying, "Look, this is," and it's it's interesting because you've got some analysts coming out and saying, "Well, this isn't." You know, this is a little bit of a PR stunt. This is, the, you know, they were they were doing this anyway. They're just trying to grab some headlines. Well, you know what? Give them credit; they succeeded. Sure. <laughs> um, and but one interesting piece of this story that I hadn't considered before, um, that I was reading this morning, is about the regulatory hurdles that automakers face. And it's essentially one more reason if you're an automaker that is trying to make the case. Or you, you know, you're an executive and an automaker, and you're trying to make a case in the conference room for why you need to be producing electric vehicles more so than traditional combustion engines. Not having to deal with the regulatory hurdles when it comes to emission standards, that that absolutely goes in the plus column. And if you're Volvo, you're not worried about that with these new EVs. No, not at all. I mean, I think um, it's if there if there are any. Companies out there that are well positioned to be able to deal with this shift, it's these big automakers like Volvo, like GM, like Ford. I think they're following Tesla's lead. I love how I love how the headline for Tesla meeting meeting their benchmark this quarter in cars. It, it sounded like most headlines were like. Tesla reaches its benchmark barely. You know, they're just like just by a hair. And it just sort of goes to show you the I think sort of the the default is that the expectation is that Tesla is going to miss whatever goal maybe Elon Musk sets up there because he sets these very big bold goals. I mean, you have to love that, right? Set the bar high and then just try to reach it and if you can't, I mean, so what? You're 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 trying to make a big dent on on um, I mean something that that matters a lot to this entire world. And there are a few players in the space that are better positioned to take advantage of this move that have the capability, the resources to make this move uh, than those big automakers. And, and I think certainly Volvo is one that carries a very strong brand in the industry, not just here in the United States, but certainly globally. And and they have the capability to go ahead and uh, invest in this technology. Find what works. I think that going forward, the attitude is only going to continue um, to become more and more positive for electric vehicles, their capability. I think the technology will only get better as time goes on. So it's really it's it's refreshing. I'm happy to see all of these big companies really making these statements. I mean, hey, you want to gin up some press? That's fine by me. I mean, get out there and tell people what you're doing. Uh, you don't don't keep it a secret. And and I think that uh, any any company that sits back on on its heels and, and doesn't really try to participate in this movement is really going to be caught um, caught without much much of a way to recover. Because I think that that kind of like in technology with with these sorts of things, the more time that goes on. The the progress that's made in this space it's exponential. It compounds essentially, right? The longer you have a chance to to devote money and resources to this kind of technology to improve it, that just that just makes your competitive advantage that much greater as more time goes on. And and so Volvo, GM, Ford, they all need to make this to make this step if they want to remain relevant and and really be a part of sort of defining 
where the automobile is going here for the 21st century. There's no question. I mean, it's not just electric, certainly hybrids, but we have all sorts of alternative energy options here, and um, and it's nice to see all of these companies uh, making their bets accordingly. Let's move on to the entertainment industry, and we've talked at length about the falling ratings at ESPN and and what that uh, means to Disney. Uh, and for that matter, falling ratings at Fox Sports and and what that means for uh, the Fox parent company. Unfortunately for Disney, however, ESPN is not the only challenge they're facing in the TV division. The Wall Street Journal came out with a story this morning about Disney's networks that are aimed at kids, and the drop-off in ratings there is... Uh, I mean, it's like I'm looking at an auto parts company here. <laughs> My God, I mean, Disney Channel, Disney Junior, Disney XD. It's a combination of things, and they're all bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's the lack of um, really high quality program. You know, sort of sticky programming that's like, oh, I, I got to watch this, and more and more kids and we you and I know this and anyone who has kids knows this uh, there's less time spent in front of what we consider to be the traditional television and more spent on digital yeah absolutely and i i mean speaking from the perspective of a parent who just <laughs> just went through this with I, my girls are t- uh, almost 11 and 12 years old and so i i just went through this stage of of seeing all of the shows that Disney Junior has to offer, like all of the Disney Channel stuff. I mean, I, I sat there and saw it all. I mean, I, I have nightmares about it sometimes, Chris. I'm not <laughs> gonna lie. Like, you know, it's it's not it's not the most compelling must see T V out there. But at that age, the kids like it. With the exception of Phineas and Ferb, which was a brilliantly inspired yeah. Animated series, I, and I, yeah, I think any any time I hear someone smart. It was pass very judgment smart. on Phineas and Ferb, and they've never seen it. I mean, I I, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it at all. And so I, I say, listen, you have to at least watch that because yeah, there there there's a lot there with no, Phineas it's a, and Ferb. It's a super smart show, but but Phineas and Ferb, notwithstanding, I think that Disney has a big challenge on their on their on their hands here in regard to not only sports but definitely kids content because also you're seeing a lot of these digital companies now from Netflix. I mean, Amazon's doing the same thing, and even Hulu now they're taking. A a lot of the data that they're getting from their viewers, and they're producing original programming for kids too, and they're forging partnerships to be able to bring more um, offerings to their table without having to be so reliant on just Disney. I mean, Disney's very strong; they have a lot of valuable IP out there, but it's not the only game in town. And it was very interesting last week, I think it was. Um, school's out now, so I had my girls in the office with me one day. And we were goofing around. We came in in the studio, and we just shot like a six-minute video um, of them, basically talking about the the trends that are going on in their lives with their friends, and sort of how the investing world should be looking here over the course of the next decade. Things to focus on. And so, I mean, the obvious suspects out there: Starbucks is certainly still a thing. Um, they were very impressed with both Nike and Under Armour. But it, we, the discussion went to Netflix and YouTube, and so I posed the question. They didn't know I was going to ask them this, but I asked them. I said, "You have, you can choose one one of the two. You're either going to be able to keep Netflix or YouTube. Which one do you want?" Now, my one daughter, without even thinking about it, said YouTube. No question. The other one was torn. She was almost undecided because she sees there's so much value in both of them. But I, I thought it was just very telling in that kids at that age really find a lot of value in YouTube and all of the different things they can find. It goes beyond just that stupid brainless programming that you find on the Disney Channel. 
and you move into sort of real life things, whether you're learning how to make slime or you like how to cake it or whatever it may be, all of that stuff is on YouTube plus much, much more. So this really goes to show, I think, that with Disney, we we've heard them talking about how they're trying to bring more over the top options to to market and, and they're sort of examining the space and whatnot. But again, let's not let too much time go by because as as good as they are at what they do, I mean, you're competing for a lot of attention out there, and and as time goes on, if you're not at least part of the conversation, you become irrelevant very, very quickly, and and I think it's much more difficult to to get that attention back um, down the line. I mean, sports sports is the same thing, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because if you think about you, you talk about Disney's IP, and obviously with their acquisitions of Marvel and Pixar and. Lucasfilm. You think about what makes those, what comes out of those three factories, what comes out of the Pixar factory, the Marvel factory, the Lucasfilm factory. Almost across the board, it is super high quality. It's great stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, it takes a lot of time. It does. So, so on the one hand, you, you like if I, I, I would absolutely understand and forgive if Bob Iger was just like calling up. You know Kevin Feige at Marvel or John Lasseter at Pixar, and just being like, "For the love of God, can you you know, <laughs> yeah. can you help me out on the TV front? Can you move faster?" And you know they're like, "Well, you know maybe we could, but that would take time away from you know taking several years to produce a high quality and oh by the way high grossing film that then has all of these ancillary products to come out of the consumer products division. So it's um it's definitely a challenge that they've got over there. Yes. Um, uh, before we go any further, gotta say thanks to our friends at Slack for sponsoring today's episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all your team's communications in one place, and it makes your work life simpler and it makes you more productive. We use Slack here at the Motley Fool. We've been using it for a few years, and it's fantastic. Just if honestly, if the only thing it did was cut down on internal email, that would be worth the price of admission right there. And it is substantially cut down on our internal email. Uh, But Slack does a lot more than that. It allows you to organize your team, real-time messaging, video, voice calls, group file sharing, searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. And it just saves you a lot of time. You don't have to search through all those emails to find that one follow-up or switch across multiple tabs and platforms. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with over 900 apps. So, whether you're working with Trello or Dropbox or Google Drive, whatever, Slack makes it super easy. And with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off, no matter where you are. So, check it out Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Uh, before we wrap up today, I, you wanted to give a shout out to someone I know. I did. We had yeah, a visitor, right? yeah, we did last week. Um, we had a visitor uh, here at Full HQ. John Zaleski and his wife came in to say hi. And John's a listener to um, a number of our shows here, and he he had nothing but but really really nice things to say. Um, and interestingly, his wife was a teacher, so the conversation even uh, talked a little bit about financial literacy for kids and how to get how to get kids more interested in things like that. But John, uh, I, I believe he said they live up in Boston, actually, so it was really 
terrible timing that you weren't here, but but nevertheless, or brilliant timing on his part. He's like, when, <laughs> well, is, when is Chris going on vacation? We That's a, when I'll come by. <laughs> we had a really nice conversation when when they visited Bro Camp and um, uh, and I sat there and spoke with uh, John and his wife for a little while. And then John had a he had a, he brought a very thoughtful gift. John is a uh, he, he likes to make hot sauce, um, and and so he gave us. A bottle of of his farm boy Johnny's fiery tasty hot sauce. Now I will go ahead and tell you, Chris, I took that hot sauce and it's now in my house. <laughs> um, I didn't have anybody up there really clamoring saying that they really like their chicken spicy, and I do, so yes. I took it home. Um, so first and foremost, John, thank you very much to you and your wife for coming in the thoughtful words. Thank you for the hot sauce. I can say that that is some fiery tasty hot sauce with an emphasis on fiery. It is hot. But it's really, really good. It goes well with chicken, indeed. And I also had it uh, with tater tots. So, any which way you cut it, it was good stuff. And thank you, John, so much for bringing that stuff in. Farm Boy Johnny's? Yes, sir. Is this for sale somewhere on the interwebs? I don't think so. It looks like it's kind of like his, uh, you know, I mean, like I talked, pet a little project. Bit, I talked a little bit in college how I made craft beer and we bottled our own stuff and it was just ours. I mean, it was distribution was really tough back then, Chris. And I think this is more of a passion project for him, but um, you can certainly see a picture of it. I tweeted it out on my Twitter feed at uh, TMFJMO. Uh, but, I mean, he had a batch number and everything. It's a nice label. Stuff was good, well made. Speaking of Twitter feeds, something I tweeted out this morning, I said I was going to talk about this. Um, an event this Friday, July 7th, here in the D.C. area, uh, our man behind the glass on Motley Fool Money, Steve Broido, is a photographer in his spare time. And he has a photo exhibit that is going up in Crystal City, Virginia, at the Gallery Underground. And it's photos that he took when he was in Death Valley. And I've seen a few of them on uh, just online, and they're they're amazing. And there's going to be an opening reception. The the exhibit's already up, and it's going to be up all month. Uh, but there, this Friday evening from five to eight p.m., there's going to be an opening reception. That's uh, Steve will be at. I'm going to be there. Maddie Argusinger is going to be there. Uh, adult beverages will be served. I am told. So look, <laughs> it's an art exhibit. It's a, it's a great photo exhibit. It's a chance to meet the the man behind the glass. Uh, it's free to attend. And by the way, adult beverages. So um, so again, Friday, July seventh, five to eight. If you live in the D.C. area, come on by. It's the Gallery Underground in Crystal City. Uh, I, I've tweeted out the details, but you can just drop an email to marketfoolery at fool.com if you want uh, more specific information than that. But otherwise, hope to, uh, hope to see you out Friday evening. I'm still working on it. I hope I can get there. But uh, either way, I'm glad to know it'll be up and running for uh, the next month because I've seen some of his work and he's got a good eye for it. Yeah, it's great stuff. Mm -hmm. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.